0: Um, well, I always have these little gifts waiting. Scissors. I'm supposing someone was, this is, a, a, I'm supposing maybe cut my sermon in half. I don't, maybe that was it, right? There's a, a meaning behind all that. You notice I got rid of those scissors though, right? As you guys know, we're doing this study in the book of Exodus, and um, we here at the church, at the Driven Church, uh, we, we kind of navigate through the scripture, um, and, and in so doing, you find yourself in some pretty difficult, uh, scripture. You know, uh, a lot of times you'll go to churches and, uh, you, you'll run into one of those, uh, barriers, one of those difficult scriptures, man, and you're waiting for, for that to be explained, you're waiting for that to be addressed, you're waiting for that to be dealt with, and all of a sudden you get there and they've moved over that scripture and they've gone to the next scripture, you know what I mean? And, uh. What we want to do here at the Driven Church is deal with the Scripture period. And there are hard things in the Scripture. And last week we dealt with some hard things. And uh, we're going to continue to deal with some hard things this morning as we deal with uh, uh, the verses that are found in Exodus chapter 21, verse 7 through 11. And many of you are pretty excited. You're thinking, well, 7 through 11, man, short service today. Uh, Probably not. But uh, we're going to deal with this Scripture, right? And uh, now there there is something that is absolutely important. I do have to go back and I do have to cover uh, the things that we we touched on last week. And we're going to just kind of do some bullet points here. Uh, And the reason being is as we begin the scripture, the word if is uh, the the first word in uh, verse 7. And if is the Hebrew word key, which is a conjunction, which means it connects uh, verse 7 uh, uh, and, and uh, the, the previous verses, right? And so uh, it, it wouldn't make sense if we just jumped in to verse 7, understanding it begins with a conjunction, but we have no idea what it's connected to, right? That makes literally no sense. And so we're going to have to cover this really quickly. Uh, well, my efforts to be quick, Otis, and we're going to try to bridge this, right? And uh, what we believe here at the Driven Church is that uh, our goal is to paint a picture of God for you uh, through his scripture. We want to see God. We don't want to address a thousand different issues. What we want to do is allow you to see who God is and allow that to affect the way you deal with a thousand different issues. Because once we begin to see God for who God really is, it begins to change our perspective on everything. You know what I mean, Ms. Kathy? It'll literally change our perspective on everything. So our job here is through the Scripture, which is the revelation of who God is, the, the God being revealed, our job here is to not get in the way of Him revealing Himself. Right? You see what I'm saying? So my efforts this morning, Aaron, is not to mess this up. I don't want to jack this up so bad that you leave here saying, what was that about? What was he talking about? So um, I'd ask that you guys pray with me. I told my wife this week, I said, this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff, especially in the culture in which we live. Because you know what we're dealing with. If you were here last week, I'll tell you what we're dealing with. We're, We're dealing with slavery. We're dealing with Egypt. Exodus out of Egypt, the birth of a nation, that being the Hebrew nation, that being Israel. We, in chapter 20, we had dealt with the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments we're giving. In chapter 21, right here, now this should, this should paint in your mind, what I'm about to say, I need you to understand this, this should paint in your mind the heart of God right off the bat because the moment God gives the Ten Commandments, And in verse 1 of chapter 21, he begins to make this declaration. He deals with a matter on a social level of two groups of people. And I don't know, you know, if, you know, being a parent and whatnot, whenever I tell my my children things, or when they were smaller and I told them many things, um, uh, the things that I told them first, they automatically knew that was a priority. You know what I'm talking about? If, if I put an emphasis on a given thing and it was first on the list, that was probably priority number one. Right? You, you feeling me? You, you with me on this? And so uh, God, after the Ten Commandments are given, he's establishing, because there's many judges. Moses has established many judges to, to deal with the issues of the society, of the, the issues of the hearts of men in Israel. There's a lot of judges overseeing thousands, hundreds, and tens, and so forth. So God begins to give these laws or this framework by which the law and the heart of God would be interpreted into social matters, right? That's what we're dealing with. How how does this thing with God flesh out in this society of God's people? And so the very first two groups of people he deals with are slaves, Hebrew slaves, and how that comes about, and women, and women. The least in the social order of things in that ancient time, and the most vulnerable. And so when God establishes structure, and guidelines, and how these people are to be treated, you automatically know that God is caring about the least of these and the most vulnerable of these. So I don't know where you're at in regards to your life. I don't know where you feel like you're at. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what life experience you've had. But I want you to know this morning, if you you feel that you're the least of these in our society, God's eye is on you. If you feel like you're in the most vulnerable state that you've ever been in, I want you to know that God's eyes are on you this morning. And so that's what we're going to look at. And so doing, we need to go back a few verses, and we're going to work our way through this. We're going to jump right in, into verse 7, okay? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I need your spirit. I need your, your, uh, the, the freedom to communicate your word this morning, Father, we want the truth. We want to be able to see things clearly. These are hard things. and We want to be able to navigate these things. And we want to be able to share these things when people come to us and say, what about that difficult scripture there? How, how can God be this way and He allowed this? What is going on there? Explain that to me. I pray, Father, this morning that we would have Your understanding this morning. That You would grant us a sense and a perspective of Your Word and Your heart on these matters and we could see it clearly it may change the way we've read these scriptures and if so so doing that draws us closer to you then so be it let it just change the way maybe we've always interpreted these in jesus name amen amen all right hey listen exodus chapter 21 verse 1 these are some bullet points okay and now listen, I, I do want to say this again, I'll reiterate this. When we start to talk about it in different translations, there's different renderings of this, of this verse or this word. Uh, some translations will render it slaves. Some translations will render it servants. But the reality is that uh, in every sense of the word, in, in, in the very definition, it would be what we would consider to be an indentured servant. Right? Are you with? This is not when we speak of slavery in this context. This is not uh, uh, Alex Haley's. And I reference this. This isn't Alex Haley's roots that we're talking about. This isn't the experience that many of us witnessed. You know, when we were kids in in the I ain't gonna say what decade. <laughs> When we were, and we watched Alex Haley's Roots, and we watched the character Kuta Kente being brought to the America and being abused and his people being slaughtered. This isn't, you've got to be able to separate yourself uh, from that image when we begin to read the scripture because it's not the same thing. And sometimes it's hard for us to even approach a a verse that would would consider this concept of servanthood or slavery or indentured servanthood uh, and where it's mixing in with God's view of this and how we view it because we've had a given experience or, or given exposure to a certain idea and so everything is filtered through that, Right? The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he refers to himself, him and Timothy, as servants of Jesus Christ. And in the Greek, the word servant is the Greek word doulos, and it means slave. The Apostle Paul, the super apostle basically, right? He basically referred to himself and Timothy as bond servants or slaves of Jesus. And so last week when we shared the scripture, I said my hope was that each of us would leave here last week having conceded our freedom in exchange for slavery to Jesus. Because there is no greater freedom than to find ourselves a bondservant to Christ. And so that that was the direction we shifted last week. So let's get on this so we can get through this before Monday. (laughs) Exodus 21 verse 1, and listen, just bullet points. These are the laws you are to set before them. Remember we read that. Basically saying, these are the guidelines for those that would be overseeing my people. Everyone. The judges knew these things, and the people knew these things. You understand the benefit of that? If you're on the low end of the the totem pole, and you know the law, you know where your protection is. So this is shared with everybody in the nation. And it says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, already sounds bad, don't it? Sounds bad. Somebody's up for sale. He is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. Now in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39, it gives context for how this would come about. And it doesn't come about by the way you think it would come about, that we're at some slave market and someone's being shown off and they're being sold. As a matter of fact, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39 says this is how this would come about in most cases. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor... Become poor, impoverished, and sell themselves to you. We're talking about Hebrews to Hebrews. And sell themselves to you. Do not make them work as slaves. So God's already establishing, because these people had come out of Egypt. They knew what slavery was. And he was establishing a difference between indentured servanthood and how his people are to treat his people. And this is an escape. This is a mechanism that is at play that God is establishing for those who have fell into poverty to reestablish themselves. And they are to be treated with dignity while under the care of a master. Not just that. Not just that. It isn't permanent. See that? In the seventh year, they're to go free. And when he goes free, he goes without paying anything. Not only are they back on their feet, not only do they go free, they owe nothing. They're not indebted to the master in any way, shape, or form. It's literally an opportunity for this individual to recover under the care of God. God's establishing this. He's looking for this person who is broken within the the scope of society. And he says, I want to provide for you. I want to get you back on your feet. Man, a God who is willing to establish an order, to protect the least. Is a God worthy of our hearts and our praise, right? And then the scripture says this. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. So if he comes with a wife, he leaves with a wife. If he comes alone, he leaves alone. The scripture basically is just establishing right there. This individual will come in and out of indentured servanthood, losing nothing. He will not suffer loss. You with me? You see how God is, he's not going to suffer anything. Man, if he brought his wife into this and she was serving in the same capacity, when this cat goes out, he's taking her with her, whether he wants to or not. Right? He may look at the master and say, hey, hey. He may try to will and deal. But the, God has established something. Hey, she's coming with you. Now you see a guy going, oh, man, I thought God loved me. No, no, I'm just kidding. Look, every wife out there is like, oh, I'm getting Trent this week. <laughs> All right? And then in verse 4 it says, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, this is hard, man. The woman and her children should belong to her master and only the man shall go free. You're like, that's jacked up. The master gives them a wife and they have children, but then the master wants to keep the wife and keep the children while the man goes free. That don't sound like a loving God. Well, it does if you understand that the man came into indentured servitude through some type of failure in his own life to manage his own finances, right? Being a father or the master, he is responsible for the care of those in his household, including his children, including his servants. So any good master, almost serving in the capacity of a father, would look at the indentured servant who came in under poor choices or whatever the dynamic was, saying to the the husband, prove yourself. Because in in, uh, uh, the Jewish order, a husband could redeem his family. Meaning he could come in, prove himself financially, and through financial means, recover his wife and children. But you know what that would require? Him to get back on his feet. You think God isn't looking out for the, 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 the wife and the children as well as the man? The man's not even bearing the responsibility of the wife and the children until he's back on his feet. Do you not see how God is working this out in a gracious and merciful way? He's literally saying, hey, Dad, go out there and work this thing out. And when you work it out, the wife and the children are cared for, you're going to come back and redeem them. I don't know if you can get a better deal. And then in verse 5, it says this. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and my children, and I do not want to go free. If he says this. Now, that's something incredible because we touched on the fact that he doesn't have to leave, but he he has to be the one to make the decision. Right? If the servant declares, I love my master. He can come back and he can stay under the master's care with his wife and his children. Not only does he have to make this declaration, it's got to be prompted by love, right? Love is the motivation. I love my master. I love my master. And so it is with God in our and our relationship. We're, we're in a servant relationship with God. We're not the one calling the shots. We're not, in, we're not God and God's under our control. We're under him. And it should start, our, our, our positioning in God, Bree, should start With our own declaration and our own expression of love for God, the Master, right, right. It says, "Then his master must take him before the judges, and these people were the people that represented God and God's ordinances, and they were the ones rendering the judgments." And the scripture says, "He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl—you know, a gauge kind of thing. You see that, right?" And, and, And so the servant comes up there, the They've already bore witness before the judges of God. He, he brings them home. He's at the doorpost. He's at the door. He pulls out this awl that might have a, a piercing tip to it. He takes the man's ear. Pow! It's a permanent marking to identify this man's submission and willingness to come under the master's care, right? And we touched on the fact why is it the door? Why, is it, why does it have to be done at the door or the doorpost? Well, there's only one way to gain entry into the home. That's through the door. And that's what the door and the doorpost represented, was entry, the entryway into the home. The man would be marked. The man's blood would be spilt at the entryway. It is a price that's being paid for him to gain access into the care of the master's home, where he would therefore be cared. The scripture said that he would be a servant forever. It's more of an adoption dynamic than it is some indentured servanthood. And now the master's responsibility for the remainder of that man's days is what? To provide for him and his family. That's a pretty good deal, man. That's a pretty good deal. And God is saying to the least of these, this is what I'm providing. This is how I love the least. I'm providing a means out And so that's where we begin, right? You're like, I thought, that's a (laughs) whole sermon. Google, Google, I just took no time to suffer hand fatigue, right? But here's the next verse, all right? And and it begins in verse 7 with if. Now, I do want you to understand before I read that. uh, Many of you are familiar with Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the Micah mandate. This kind of gives you a look into the heart of God, okay? When I read this verse... It's, it's me opening up God's heart. I mean, you're exposed right here. God is exposing. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, act justly, or to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is a powerful thought. This is what God requires of you, Kellen. To act justly, to act with justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly. God is is saying, this is what I want out of my people. Now, what we say a lot of times when we see these people, when we see the least and we see the most vulnerable, we say to ourselves, why doesn't God just take care of all that? He does. He does take care of all that. And you know how he takes care of all that? You know how he takes care of the least of these? You know how he takes care of the most vulnerable of these? This is how. You and me, our hands and our feet, we become the vehicle by which God administers his love to the least and the most vulnerable. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, when he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He says, whatever you failed to do to the least of these, you failed to do to me. Jesus is literally saying right there in that scripture that you are a representative, and whatever you do, you're carrying it out, not just against them, but against me. So that, that responsibility is Chase's, it, it, it's Brooks, it's Ricky's, it's each and every one of ours who f- call on the name of Jesus to have our hands. And our feet available to carry out justice, mercy, and to walk humbly. Yeah. If, now this is tough, man. This is tough scripture. Now remember, if is, is the conjunction, we're connecting this. So now we're going from the, the, the male uh, servants, slaves, if you will, to the women. And I would even go so far as to say young ladies, young women. And every woman in here is a young woman, right? Yeah, I'm no fool. (laughs) This applies to every woman in here, you young ladies. Now check this out, man. Hard, hard for us to process this, right? If a man sells his daughter as a servant, listen to this. She is not to go free as male servants do. Right away, you read that and you're like, I'm out of this Bible thing. We got some cat selling his daughter, right? That's, a, that's immediately what you're thinking. And a lot of times we'll jump on that portion of Scripture. We'll, we'll pull it outside of context that God is establishing order and provision. And we're like, oh, no, no. God's all down with uh, being chauvinistic. You know what I'm talking about? God is a chauvinistic God. I'm not there. Yeah, God, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I, I, it, it don't work for me. And that's nothing like who God really is. And that's not what this scripture is referencing, this ugly image of, may I say this, and I think most people are adults in here, and we can navigate this as parents with our children if they ask about this after the service. This isn't some dad selling his daughter into slave or sex slavery. This isn't a slave trade in that sense. As a matter of fact, in every sense of the word, this is a father trying to establish for his daughter a future of provision and security. He's not selling her for financial gain. He's trying to find for her a place, a place where she will be provided for, protected, a place of security. When the scripture says, and we read the back end of the scripture, man, and we kind of struggle with this, When the scripture says, and she is not to go free as male servants do, that's not a restriction, man. And Let me me, me pause right there. Let let me jump in this really quick. One of the reasons we know when we read this scripture that it's not this idea of a father selling his daughter is because whenever you jump down to verse 8 where it uses the word selected, where the master has selected, it is the word in the Hebrew, yawad. Do you know what that means? Betrothed. You know what that means? Engaged. Literally, the father is establishing for his daughter the opportunity for marriage with his master or someone in the master's home. The money that's being exchanged is no more than what you and I would consider a dowry. Meaning, if this thing doesn't work out, the dowry can be returned and the woman can have freedom or if there's a violation of faith in the master's home, the woman is released without payment and the dowry is kept by her father to care for her the rest of her days. To accomplish what? What he had sought out to accomplish to begin with. Security, provision, and protection for his daughter. Okay, let's, let's, let's work through this. When we see this dad, in my mind... You must understand he's a Hebrew father, and all of you dads out there who have daughters. Now, if you're going to have your daughter marry some Jake leg dude out there, you're going to do some serious vetting, right? Right? Now, I know Kathy, and then we're doing some vetting when this cat drugged himself through the door, right? And he was saying, Hey, hey, I'm interested in your daughter. And I get there, like, let's run a background check. You know, I'll need a credit score. You know what I'm talking about? That's the stuff I, I need to know. Who is this cat? And any loving parent, any loving father, before putting his daughter in a situation of a future uh, entanglement, believe me, he would do the vetting process. He would, do, he would be led by love for his daughter. He would be motivated, and that would be part of the decision making. If a father possessed the love in his heart that a father should possess. Listen, I remember when my daughter was 16, when she was 16 years old, she had started driving. She's uh, uh, roughly seven years older than my son. And so my my son at this time is, uh, let me do the math, nine years old, okay? And and, uh, uh, I was here at the church. Clark was riding to church with her after school, and I get a phone call. I pick up the phone. Hello? Dad? I've been in a wreck. Okay, where are you at? And she says, "I'm over at the five star over on Dixie Highway, over by Hinton's little uh, floors, little orchard area that right there." This, you guys know where I'm talking about, right down like going towards Lincoln Parkway. I said, "Are you okay?" She said, "Yeah, but I need you to get here." I said, I'm on my way. So I shoot out of this place. I get in the car, and I'm maybe not under the speed limit. And I'm navigating in that direction, praying that God would grant me some mercy and some, and some grace in regards to the traffic lights. Chris, I'm doing that. And I'm trying, I'm trying, Lord, I don't want to get caught. She needs, it's in me. I want to be there. And I remember, if, and, and you, you you guys know this right there, that intersection where you go to a, a Sonora, you know what I'm talking about? I, we got, I got, got, got caught there and as soon as the light turned green, I mean, I accelerated as fast as that four-cylinder car would accelerate. And as I was approaching the uh, five-star parking lot and whatnot, I was gazing because uh, there was distance that separated me from my, my daughter physically, but I could visually see way out there. I had my glasses on, you see, and I could see. And I remember as I was getting closer, I could see Taylor standing on this wall. And she was standing, she looked so little to me. You know, they always do to the dad. And I noticed she had her head turned in the direction in which I would be coming. And Amy, I don't know how far away I was before my eyes contacted her eyes, but I knew she'd seen me. And i seen her. And as I began to pull in, I'm not sure that my eyes ever left being fixed on her. And I pulled in, and I could see the the fear and the anxiety just melt off her. And then Clark was sitting in the car like a seal. He was just, you know, he was, you know, he was just happy. Dad's here. You know, he was just happy, right? And and and, and so 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 get, come back with me. Come back with me. And so. I get in there and because it's my daughter and I have a father's love, I just come down and I say, hey, are y'all okay? Everybody's okay? Okay, don't worry about anything. Insurance take care of everything. everything. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I'll jump on her later. <laughs> she ain't ready right now. But, but I wanted to get to her. I wanted to cover her. I knew she needed me. You think that this dad didn't possess within him the exact same motivation when he was trying to secure for his daughter a place of provision and safety? You think he was throwing her away? You think God would even make provision for a father who was throwing her away? The father... Is looking at a dad and saying, Dad, who is in need, I'm going to create for you a place where your love can be expressed for your daughter. You see? Are you following me? Are you following me? Do you not see God's love in this? Maybe that dad was on the verge of selling himself into poverty. And in so doing, in a desperate manner, extending his daughter to a home of provision, knowing things were getting hopeless. But it wasn't hopeless. You know why? Because God had made provisions. Forgive me. And The scripture says, she is not to go free as male servants do. Listen, this ain't, this ain't a restriction, but... It's protection. She's not to wander out there. She's vulnerable. She's not to be out from under the care of the master or the home of the master. When you go into Ruth chapter, I believe it's in chapter 2, and Boaz is dealing with Ruth, and Ruth has come to Boaz, and Boaz says to Ruth, says, hey, uh, don't go to the other fields gleaning, but glean with my women. Follow the men who are doing the work and you glean from them and understand this. He says, I've already spoken to the men. This is Boaz, the protector, the redeemer. And Boaz says, I've already told the men not to lay a hand on you. Why would he even have to tell them that? Because women were vulnerable. Listen, we can argue this all you want to. Man, you can be, you can, you can be uh, as woke as you want to be, but I'm going to give you something, man. That's just an undeniable reality. There are biological differences between men and women. Now, I'm not saying my, one of my sisters didn't beat me up when I was a little kid. That may have happened. She ain't beating me up now. now as long as I got get this phone to call the police. The, reali- no, the reality is this. There are biological differences. God created us this way for the man to physically be stronger. Now, I may even lean in the direction that the women may be more intellectually strong. You know, that's a, that's a debate. But this is a reality, and God has called us as men to care for our sisters, our wives, our daughters. And this is just a reality. This is a reality. That's incumbent upon us. And so it's not a restriction when He says they're not to go out, it's protecting them. I don't know how we read this scripture and don't see this. I mean, the love of God is leaking through this stuff, man. I mean, saturated. And stay with me. We're, 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 we're sort of closing. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, that's the word selected, betrothed. Listen to this. He must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. He must let her be redeemed. Meaning the father can come back and say, hey, man, here's, here's your money. Give me my daughter back, you jake-legged joker. i And you know what this is about? The father, in as much as he does the vetting process, the father can still miss things. God's even got to cover when the good father do not see it all. Praise God. Praise God. As parents, when we don't see how jacked up our our children's choosing is, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about? That God's grace still covers us, right? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? Right? Yeah, that's real. That's real. It it, it says this. It says this. That God provides a means of redemption out of a bad situation. Where the exchange between the master and the daughter is neither beneficial nor equal. The affection. But listen to this. Listen to this. It doesn't clarify why she displeases him. But regardless, regardless, this doesn't allow him the leeway to neglect or abuse her or sell her for profit. You know what that's saying? God puts a limit on the reach of the master into the daughter's life until there's consummation and there's marriage. You can only go so far. Remember this is God's daughter, master, Remember, you can only reach so far into her life. And every one of us have experienced at some point or another where God's providence has restricted the reach of of evil and destructive forces into our lives. Every one of us can look, and some of those evil destructive forces is our own hands. God has spared me many times, has literally limited the reach of my own destructive hands into my life. And in so doing, he does here for the daughter. He limits the reach of the master. and says, no, 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 no. There's some things that are kosher. You ain't doing this to her. You ain't giving one of my children to a foreigner. I don't care what he's willing to pay. God says, can't do it. And if the master tried to do it because the law had been given to everyone, the daughter could say, you out of bounds, Jack. Bad form. You can't do this to me. God's judgments have declared this. I have this right. Right? You see this? Okay. Now listen this. Now who gets the blame for this? Who gets the blame for this thing not working out? That young girl that was given over to. No, no, no. That's not how God sees it. Let's read what the scripture says. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. You know what the word, you know what the word broken faith by God in Hebrew means? It means to act or deal deceitfully. Means he brought her under, he brought her into this situation, maybe with deceptive intent. That's your responsibility, master. Don't blame my daughter. You see, you, see, you see God in this? And if he selects her for his son, I want you to watch this, man. He must grant her the rights of a daughter immediately. The word selected right back to the idea of being a, 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 a engaged, not married. Not married. But just engaged, God says if He selects her, brings her into the home for His son, immediately she has the rights of a daughter. She's to be treated like a daughter. She has her own dowry now in place from the Master's hand. Immediately. Boy, God's mean and hateful. Doesn't sound like it to me. Doesn't sound like it to me, Marissa. All right, hold on, hold on. It says, now check this out. Now this is one of those things, man, that some of you cats that are watching Sister Wives or My Fourteen brides wives or whatever it is, you know, you'll hear, you'll hear these nut jobs say, talking about this polygamy thing. Oh, man, what, God allows polygamy. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, what, okay, what's that? Got? Hold on, hold on. C- Cody Brown. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Okay, all right, let's read this. If he marries, well, hey, edit out the Cody Brown reference from the podcast. I don't want people thinking, man, that church is up here promoting seven wives and six brothers or whatever. Okay, listen. It says right here, Exodus 21, verse 10, if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights, Right? Now, immediately we read this, don't we, Tim? We're like, okay, well, God's already putting a stipulation in play that he can have another wife, right? That sounds, That's what it sounds like. And then when we go back into the Old Testament, we go back into, into Genesis and, and the further, you know, and, and, and earlier parts of Exodus, we see every time a man tried to journey with two wives, things just didn't go good. You know, why? Because it was never intended to be like that. Let me tell all you guys out there, all you husbands out there, let me drop a little truth bomb on you. You think it's difficult now dealing with one wife, you grab two of them you in all kinds of trouble. You go, you go Cody Brown or whatever his name go, and you're in trouble, Jack. It ain't going to work out. It ain't going to work out. And right here, this isn't a provision for polygamy. This is a statement or a declaration of protection for the woman that she should not be denied if a man chooses to do something outside of God's will. It's not a provision for polygamy. Let me give you another scripture so you can kind of have a reference. All right? When you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, let's read this. Very similar in context and construct. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, is that an endorsement or a, a provision for sin? Is he saying then because I've created an advocate, because I've created provision for you on the other side of this, is that an endorsement then to carry out a sinful life? Absolutely not. And when God says if he marries, then this is how I'm going to protect you. If he marries another, he's not saying that he should marry another wife. Do you, are, are you with me? You've got to follow me with this. This is what the scripture says. It says, he should not deprive her of food. It's not just food. It, it literally means, in the Hebrew, the word means meat, but it, it, it has a connotation of an abundance of food, of every meal being provided, every need physically being provided. That's, that's the, the visual there. And it says this, and clothing and marital rights. Now, why is this marital rights so big? Okay, adult class in here. What what it basically means is conjugal rights. Why would that be important to the woman? She wants a child. You know why every Hebrew woman wanted a child? I'll tell you why every Hebrew woman wanted a child. The potential of being the mother of the Christ. The second Adam, you see. The snake crusher. And God was saying to these men who are being unfaithful, do not deprive her of the potential blessing of bearing the snake crusher or the hope thereof of being in the lineage of the snake crusher. Right? Yes. Okay, let's, let's, let's move on, okay. And it says this, and we're closing here. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. God's ultimate provision in the situation. He establishes a means by which she would be cared for. But if it doesn't work out, the money that had been given to the father, the father keeps to care for her forever. He doesn't have to give it back. The scripture says right there that she is to go free without any payment of money. That money would be hers. What the master's house did not provide for her in that sense the master's house had provided through her father with the resources of the initial dowry. Man, there is no getting out of this. The, the love of God. I mean, the love of God. I mean, it's in it. The heart of God is in this. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, Trent, I didn't come to church this morning to hear about slavery. I didn't come to church this morning to hear about women being sold into marriage. I didn't. No, no, no. What, what you come this morning and what you end up finding here this morning is the love of God being expressed in the lives of the least and the vulnerable. And that may include you. And that biblical truth transcends generations and generations and generations, and it's still applicable to you today. He still cares for you in that least state. He still cares for you in that most vulnerable state. That's, that's what you get this morning. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, 14, let me just read this. I'm going to read this, Christy, okay? I'm just going to read this right here, sweetheart. My niece is here this morning. She's beautiful. It's beautiful. You're beautiful to see this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 34 says this, okay? Listen. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Who's he rescuing? Those who need to be rescued. The least, right? The vulnerable. And you know what? Us, it's inclusive in every one of us. Every one of you at at some point in your life because of your sinful condition that you're born in, as the scripture would say, are the least and the vulnerable. And you need to be rescued. And that's just a biblical truth. That's what the scripture teaches. And listen to what it says. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word for redemption, get this, is apolytrosis. And it means to buy back. The dowry has been paid for the least. And it's not just this initial purchase. It's a buying back of what was already his to begin with. I want to read you a little story in closing, okay? And I'd shared this at a funeral, and some of you have heard this. It says, 10-year-old Tommy carried his new boat to the edge of the river. He carefully placed it in the water and slowly let out the string. How smoothly the boat sailed!" Tommy sat in the warm sunshine, admiring the little boat that he had built. Suddenly, a strong current caught the boat, and Tommy tried to pull it back to shore, but the stream broke, and the little boat raced downstream, lost forever. Tommy ran along the sandy shore as fast as he could, but his little boat was gone. It soon slipped out of sight. All afternoon, he searched for the boat, but finally, when it was too dark to look any longer, Tommy sadly went home. A few days later on the way home from school, Tommy spotted a boat just like his in the store window. And when he got closer, he could see, sure enough, it was his boat, the boat that he had built. And Tommy hurried to the store manager and he said, Sir, that's my boat in your window. I made that boat. Sorry, son, but someone else brought it in this morning. And if you want it, you'll have to buy it for a dollar. Tommy ran home and counted all his money. Exactly one dollar was all that he had. When he reached the store, he rushed to the counter. Here's the money for my boat. And as he left the store, Tommy hugged his little boat. And he said to his little boat, now you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I've bought you. That is the story, Greg, of the scripture we just read. It's painting an image of God caring for the least of the vulnerable, and then in the New Testament it declares the goodness of Jesus and his willingness to pay the ultimate price or sacrifice. I love in the story, the little boy goes home and it's all, a dollar was all he had. And Jesus gave all that he had, held back nothing for you, held back nothing for me, he just gave it all. The dowry price was paid. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, are now considered, based upon what the scripture says, to be what? The bride of Christ and unlike an unfaithful master he is true to his word he is faithful to the end he has said to you he has said to me I'll never leave you Kevin Jay Ryan Ricky Billy Ashley Brandon I'll never leave you Tim I'll never leave you Dwayne I could go on and on Lisa, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm the faithful bridegroom. And you are my bride. Amen. My prayers for you today is that when you leave here today, you'll understand the heart of God found even within those difficult verses. You'll find his desire to protect and to provide his children. This is the birthing stage of a nation. And he's establishing a network to care for them. And he has established the same thing for you, to care for you, and it's found in Jesus. Stand with me this morning. Bow bow with her, we'll pray, we'll be dismissed, we'll carry with us the word that God has spoke to us today and allow it to change the way we view and see God. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Lord, we look at this scripture, we see you. We don't see you as ugly, we don't see you as dark, we don't see you as sinister, we don't see you as as unfeeling, We see you, Lord, with your eyes cast to the lowest of places to care for those who couldn't care for themselves. That being us, we see you doing that. No wonder our response to you is of adoration, of love, and commitment. No wonder we respond to you in such a way, Lord, because of your goodness to us. When we see you for who you really are, Lord, it makes it so much easier to say yes to the path that you lead us on. Yes, in the direction that you turn us to. Yes, to the action you've asked us to perform. When we see you like this, oh, how do we say no? So, Father, as we leave 100 hops in the way today, this sanctuary today. I pray, oh God, that our hearts would be fixed on you. On who you are. And when we understand this is your heart, man, what a liberating force in our life it becomes. Oh, as Jeff said, nothing could separate us from a God who loves like this. Nothing. So Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. Bless them and encourage them. I pray, go with us now, Lord. Lead us, God is and direct us. Move in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you.